0: Alright DT systems baby Dog tested and dog tough We've got those soft mouth Dummies. Now listen Everybody knows that we need more Bumpers. I'm not talking about one or Two or three. I'm talking about adding Bumpers to your repertoire I like using white or Black and white bumpers when I'm Training my dogs for marks and even Blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig It but add a bunch to your Repertoire and I'm again I'm not talking about Three to six. If you're working on T pattern if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds you need a bunch a dozen 18 the soft mouth dummies by dt can't be beat check them out lone dt difference let's go gunner kennels baby hashtag man's best kennel well it's also now hashtag man's best food crate it's freaking raccoon proof you can't get into this thing your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food trust me I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel Food Crate. It's easy to pack, easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff. Easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate. Slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. All right. Our number one asked question is revolving around force fetch whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird let me help you help your dog bunch of different breeds bunch of different personalities start to finish teaching you how to do it links in the description What's up, everybody? This is Bob Owens, uh, and you are listening to Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. I am sitting here with my brother, Kevin. What's up, everybody? And Ira McCauley, the founder of Mo Marsh, uh, veterinarian in, would you call it St. Louis or St. Charles?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, we're in St. Charles County, which is a suburb. That's
0: right. And uh, we are fired up to have him here. He's also a Co owner of Habitat Flats, so we're going to talk about that too in this podcast. But Ira is, in my opinion, someone that we all as waterfowl hunters can look up to. Um, he's a great role model for our industry, smashes ducks and turkeys, and is an enthusiastic gun dog owner. So, Ira, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Heck yeah, man. So um, if you would, we'll just do a little background on you, your uh experiences as a vet and getting into Momarsh and Habitat Flats and maybe how I said earlier like the chicken or the egg what came first, Habitat Flats or Momarsh and and your journey as uh, an entrepreneur in the waterfowl industry. Sure.
1: Sure. Do <laughs> so you want me to just go ahead and start start talking?
0: Yeah, buddy. Let it
1: rip. So, I graduated vet school in 1995 um, from the University of Missouri, so that's in Columbia, Missouri, which is kind of right in the center of the state, and uh, as soon as I got out of vet school, my first job, my first real job was was in Higginsville, Missouri, and I met a guy there named Ben Gallup, and we started building some boats together, well... You know this was before there was an internet or anything like that so we actually went to the library which a lot of people don't even probably <laughs> never been in one in today's world and checked out some books on fiberglassing and started making you know little boats to make our our public land hunting a little bit easier and uh, that is really what kind of was the base for uh, turning the you know getting the wheels spinning from MoMars and and, uh, you know, making some little, you know, just making tools that, that help to make your hunts easier and more rewarding and more intimate and, uh, uh, you know, tools that just helps you to have a better experience. So that was in 95. I started MoMarsh in 1998. Okay. So this is our 20th anniversary this year for MoMarsh.
0: Congratulations. Uh,
1: Thanks. Yeah. And so along the way, you know, we started with boats and obviously there's way more than boats now. And it's been, uh, it, it's been a, a, cool and rewarding journey with Mo Mar sets for sure. Um, with Habitat Flats, you know, I mean, I've duck hunted for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, before Habitat Flats, I was guiding for years, uh, but just to help afraid some of my costs and expenses associated with uh you know with hunting it's so expensive and For sure um and, and so was tony you know and and then uh my brother and i bought our farm our main farm in 2005 gotcha. and we started we started guiding some uh Corporate veterinary groups there, and doing some continuing education courses at our house, and uh, so we were running, you know, a couple, a couple groups of veterinarians, and the drug companies were helping put the bill, and uh, it was kind of a cool deal, really. Yeah,
0: and then
1: Tony, up. what's that?
0: I said, yeah, that sounds it.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, it you know it helps you could run two, three hunts, and you know we could pay for quite a bit in the way of our expenses, but. Uh, and at the same time, Tony Vandemore, uh our partner in Habitat Flats, he was running um, snow goose hunts. And so he'd help us some with the duck stuff, and we'd help him some with snow goose stuff. And uh, in 2008, so 10 years after I started Momars, we started Habitat Flats. And so if you do the math. This is Habitat Flats' 10-year anniversary. So, no way. 2018 is a kind of a, a big year. Uh, Real big anniversary. Year. Yeah. Yep. Sure is.
0: So, how did you end up meeting Tony? Because wasn't he was a baseball player, right?
1: Uh, yeah, he played some baseball, and uh, but when I did, you know, I didn't know him then. Um, we met just because um, we both hunted the same area. You know, we both had uh, places right there in Sumner where Habitat Flats is. And, um, you know, I mean, just was going to happen. You know, we were both right there together and both super passionate. Right. And uh, so we ended up hooking up. And, uh, yeah, Habitat Flats was spawned out of that. Very good.
0: Um, That's pretty cool. So, uh, I mean, it sounds like, over the years would you say i guess where i want to take this is like waterfowl hunting mo marsh and these guiding has just opened up doors to meeting other people and you know businesses grew and relationships grew and one thing led to another and you're continuously growing and, and evolving
1: yeah i mean as much as you can you know i mean oh man whether you're uh a dog trainer, or a guy that owns a Burger King, or whatever you're doing, you know, you're, it's just uh, it's all risk management and and time management and uh, cash flow and all that stuff, right? Yeah, just, buddy. Uh,
0: or lack thereof. To do
1: it with, uh, yeah, it's a lot more fun <laughs> to do it with uh, ducks and dogs than it is with hamburgers, I think.
0: No doubt. Now, um, when did you decide? to do the innovations for the gundog products like the invisalab and the final stand
1: and you know it's so weird because a lot of things have to come together for that to really happen so i mean i would had the ideas for quite a while but an idea doesn't get you very far without the other pieces of the puzzle to pull together the manufacturing side and the um, distribution side and, and all of the things to go into actually having, you know, getting an idea from just, hey, I'm going to go build this in my basement to a product that people can actually buy and functions well and all that stuff is right. worlds apart. Um, and so, really, you know, we started off with the boats and then our first non, our, our first kind of overseas soft and soft, you know, cut and sew metal item was uh then lounge which is that five positioning, self supporting ratcheting seat and we use it in our layout boats, but you can use it for turkey out and snow goose out and all that. And um so a buddy of mine, Jim Gianlottis, um, he worked for Battenfeld in Columbia there. It was a subsidiary of Midway USA nice. and he was the guy that kinda helped me develop that product, you know, into there were there were some seats out there that were similar, but they all had open cell foam, so they didn't work in a hunting situ a duck hunting situation at all, because they'd get you know they'd weigh fifty daggone pounds, and you couldn't get them dried out, and so you know we we couldn't get them to make a closed cell foam model, so we ended up doing it on our own, and. uh but it took a while for the light bulbs to go off that, hey, you know, let's let's do more here. And that relationship kind of fizzled and a new one started. And, and uh, man, it's just kind of wild how it all ended up working out. And it's also really weird when you're, you know, when you're doing all that stuff. Like some things that I would think would be really easy, man, we just couldn't get done. And then other things that I was like, oh, man, this would be a challenge. I don't know if we'll be able to get this done. And sometimes it was like it came together and, was better than what I'd envisioned in the beginning, you know.
0: So what was one of the products that you've made over the years? Cause you've certainly made like quite a number of innovations within the industry, but what one have you found to be the most helpful for your own hunting?
1: Um, well for people, I, I think the Invisi-Man is, is pretty hard to beat. I mean, it's just so versatile. It truly is for people like what the Invisilab is for for your dog, you know, because you can use it in a field, you can use it in water that's up to waist deep, and it, it's just you know keeps you comfortable and hidden, and um, yeah, it's a it's a great product. Obviously, in the Invisalab, we've had huge amounts of success with it, yeah. and um, that's what know, I very use. Versatile. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know a lot of it really depends on like what Type of environment you hunt in, you know where you're hunting, what you need, you know there are certainly places where uh, a layout boat, a marsh style boat is going to be the best option for you, because, uh, um, you know you can get from point A to point B with all your gear, throw it out, shut your doors, and and you're good to go. You know even if it's a long, even if it's a long way, versus, uh, you know some places a swamp seat might might fit the bill fine because it's light um some places final stand may be fine like parent woods mm-hmm. um so you know i don't know that there is a best one but certainly we have uh, a lot of different options for guys to pick the product or products that kind of fill the bill of what they need for a particular spot or style
0: yeah for sure i mean for us a lot of we're either field uh, hunting for geese, or generally we're we're in the marsh, and that's where the Invisilab for us, I mean, just you carry that thing out kind of like a backpack, the dog swims right by you, unfold it, and let it rip, and the uh, dog stays dry, stays hidden, and you can, I honestly, like, lean up right against it, and it's camouflaging yeah. me and the dog almost. You can run the dog right from it. Yeah, no, it
1: definitely it definitely helps to, you know, break things up out there if you don't have another blind for yourself and you just sit on a swamp seat or whatever right next to it. At least you got some sort of cover you can get in the shadow of or whatever.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So um, that's pretty cool. Is there anything you'd like to add on that, or can we mosey on into some of these cool questions?
1: Um, no, I mean, you know, it's just uh, there's there's – we've still got probably – I don't know five more things that are coming that are projects that I've been working on for a while so there's still there's still several new ideas uh, that are out there that that we're working on so we're not at ideas yet love
0: it love it is are those gonna be out this year or those uh, you know coming 2019 and in the future
1: um, yeah, no. 20, 20, 2017 was such a big new product development year for us. I mean, came out with the danglers and the leg lock and uh, the kennel cots, the kennel pad, the seat covers. So, a whole bunch of dog related stuff, you know, and, and a lot of it not just hunting specific, more, you know, uh, hunting dog comfort. Um, yeah, so, you know, all our gray stuff kennel cot, kennel pad seat covers, that kind of stuff. Uh, So 2018 is going to be a fairly slow new product year for us. I think 2019, we ought to have several new items coming out again. Very good. Well, we'll
0: stay tuned on that, and maybe we could do a podcast for those launches and talk about how that's going to change and and innovate the industry. Sure. Heck yeah, um, so let's do a little bit of a lightning round because there are some things that I'm interested in hearing from everybody and uh, So the first one will be what is the gun of choice for waterfowl hunting?
1: Uh, man, you know, I shoot all kinds of stuff uh, Probably my my main go-to gun if I had to just have one to shoot geese cranes everything with it would have to be a bread a 400 there you go they're getting popular man people love them well man they're just so soft you know they're just soft shooting very reliable um i mean some people feel like they're a little clunky and i get that but it doesn't bother me any at all um but yeah the the main reason i went to one we were on a big snow goose hunt there quite a while back and i was shooting a super x3 uh and I had a sure cycle extension on it, and man, the thing came unscrewed and shot out on the cornfield. And the guy next <laughs> to me had two guns, and he was like, here, just shoot my other gun. And I picked it up, and I ripped off like, you know, 10 shots into this monster wad of snow geese. And I was like, what in the world? Yeah. And I said, what's going on here, man? That thing barely hit me. He's like, oh, yeah, it's an A400. I was like, holy crap, I got to have one. That's awesome. So yeah, I, I went out and bought one week later.
0: Good for you. Do you hunt but, with a dog during snow goose season, or do you find it to be almost overwhelming for them?
1: Uh, no, I, I mean I, I certainly do. Um, I mean my preference is certainly to have a, have a dog for sure. I mean you get so many long cripples and all that stuff. There is no better experience for especially like young dogs and dogs that you're trying to work, you know, build confidence on and, and stuff like that, than a snow goose type setting. Cause you know, you can do super long marks. They can see that white bird from a long, long way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like when Sadie was young, man, you know, she snow goose hunted every day. Now she became deaf as a result, but you know, it's the kind of experience that that just builds so much trust between the owner and and the dog because uh there's so many opportunities and having that white bird out there walking around on you know five six hundred yard marks and even blinds where they they don't know that it's there but you know you you get them halfway there and they're going to see that white bird out there
0: really helps yeah turn the jets on and they fall to it that's awesome um now how old is sadie now
1: she's 10. Man, getting up there.
0: And you have a younger dog, too, right?
1: Well, I did, but I ended up washing her out because, uh, man, she had the weirdest thing. So, like, in training, you just hardly ever see it. But in a hunting situation, she would have situational excitatory nystagmus. So those are some big words, right? Yeah, buddy, you just lost me. (laughs) Yeah, so nystagmus is like nystagmus is like when you get off the merry-go-round and your whole world's spinning to the right, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, you can't walk in a straight line. You're walking to the right. Your eyeballs are going back and forth. All that stuff, right? Okay. So this dog, when I would take her hunting, and it got worse over time. It's crazy. I, I mean, I'd take her hunting and kill a duck or a dove or whatever, and you'd look down, and her whole head would just be going back and forth. So... You know, she had nystagmus going on associated with that excitement. Gotcha. And so then, you know, she'd have the mark, you'd send her, and she would, every time, take off to the right, uncontrollably. And uh, and then she'd kind of get over it in, you know, 10 to 20 seconds and, you know, kind of straighten herself out and come back around and get the bird and come back to you and still be all jacked up. But anyway, it was... It was more than I could deal with once I really put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Right. Now, and that
0: wouldn't be that genetic, super right? Super
1: obedient. Mm, no. I mean, there's no... It's a it's a one-of-a-kind deal. I mean, there's no description in the literature. There's no nothing. I mean, I talked to the university. They wanted to do a case study on her. And I was like, yeah, if you want her, no problem. And they were like, no, no, you can just bring her up here, like, once a week. I was like, meh. <laughs> going <laughs> louisiana to swim in the pool the rest of her life yeah eh, that's too bad so that's what we did we centered my buddy billy d down in louisiana um but no i mean was crazy i mean there's no description there's no nothing i mean i've talked to tons of trainers tons of other veterinarians um specialists you know i've got videos of what was going on it's just so strange but it was it was very difficult to watch i mean she'd end up up in the you know bushes and weeds and lost and like i said it took a while to connect all the dots on what was going on because she wouldn't really she wouldn't do it in a training situation you know she trained fine
0: right now if you were to stop her if you were to stop her and cast her would it self-correct or would she just go into crazy hunt mode and not focus on you know casting
1: Oh, no, I mean, she didn't even know where she was. Like, you know, when she was that excited, if you did a whistle sit, she'd sit down, and you could see her head out there, you know, just going at it, and she looked like Ray Charles on <laughs> on, uh, on, speed, you know. And, uh, hell, you could give her, a, like, you could do whatever you wanted. She didn't know where you were or where she was, and, you know, you'd tell her back or whatever, and she'd just take off running another circle.
0: Good Lord, well. Unfortunately, it sounds like she didn't work out, but somebody made out with a nice house dog, I'd guess.
1: Oh, yeah. She's super sweet dog and super obedient, but hunting just, man, it tripped her trigger and not in a good way.
0: Right. Do you have a new dog coming up through the ranks?
1: No. You know, I felt kind of bad that, that I, I wasn't taking Sadie when I, had, when I was bringing that young pup up, you know, through the ranks, so... You know, Sadie was only getting to go, uh, she'd go like two out of three days. And so this year, I'm just going to hunt with her. She's still super strong. I mean, other than being deaf, she's still a go-getter. Um, so I'm just going to hunt with her this year. and Enjoy it. I don't know. i got to figure something out, man. I don't know if I'll do a starter dog or get another puppy or what.
0: Sure. Well, I guess let me know, and I'd be glad to help you out. But I know you got a lot of contacts, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, that deal kind of took the wind out of my sails there for a year or two, to be honest. You know, you put all that, all that, into a young dog, and uh, it's like, man, that stinks.
0: Both emotionally and financially.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: it's tough. Yeah, it was it
1: was a tough deal, but Sadie, Sadie's happy.
0: Yeah, she got her starting lineup again. That's right. That's right. Um, so what i'd like to ask you too is when for for instance like we're all about the unspoken bond at lone duck and and the memories that we make and the story of getting started in the industry and our first dog or or our first hunting experience with a dog that really lit the fire in our belly that that made you and myself and the other guys who go all in um and if you remember, could you tell us a story of your first hunt with a dog and what it was like, and and like, just paint us the picture.
1: Yeah, the first the first dog that I really remember making an impression on me in the in the waterfowling world was uh, my uncle uh, Von Dale. He was a guide down in uh, Louisiana, um, Southwest Louisiana, down in Hackberry for. Hackberry Rod and Gun, Terry Shaughnessy's place back back in the day. I mean, back when I was a little kid. And uh, he had a golden retriever named Sport. And, uh, man, that dog, at least in, in my memories, was really good. I'm sure he was. I mean, my uncle was a guide there, and the dog hunted every day. Um, and I remember we went we went and, and got to Pit Blind early in the morning, and the dog jumps in the Pit Blind and comes jumping out of there. My Screaming, howling, and barking, and carrying on. And my uncle shines the flashlight on the dog, and a daggum nutria rat was in the blind. You kidding ripped right? half his dog's ear off. There was blood everywhere. Oh. And uh, so he ends up killing this nutria rat, and uh, the dog's all bloody, you know, I mean, just blood all over the place. And I forget if it was that day. That, I don't remember if it was that day or another day. We killed 21 pintail drakes. You know, that was back in the point system. But we always shot the heck out of ducks. So I I know that the dog made, you know. So he was a pretty good guy then, not bad. Yeah, uh, even with half its ear ripped off, you
0: know. That's pretty cool. That's a good story. So Sport was the dog that made the impression.
1: Yeah. Now, did
0: that influence you wanted to become a veterinarian too?
1: Man, I don't know about that, Bob. You know, I mean, when I went to vet school, it wasn't like, or when I went to college, I wasn't a hundred percent like. Most of my classmates were totally devoted to being a veterinarian. I was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, that's fine too. Yeah, dude, that's so, that's just um, me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like me. I mean,
1: you know, getting into bed school is hard enough. You're you're kind of crazy if you put all your eggs in that basket, unless you're a, a complete nerd. <laughs> uh,
0: I hope my vet's not listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I, I guess I'm kind of a nerd, but you know, I did have uh, a backup. I wasn't that worried about whether I got in bed school or not, really. For sure. I was more worried about uh, where the next uh, the next kegger was. Also,
0: sounded like me. Um, so do you, what was your first dog that you bought and, and owned and trained and hunted with?
1: Yeah, my, my first dog that was just mine, um, was right, right, uh, right when I was getting oh, I was in, in vet school and, uh, his name was Slack and he was a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. <laughs> Went and bought him out in Hill City, Kansas. There you go. Yeah, I've, he was a super cool dog, man. How big was he? Uh, I mean, he wasn't huge. He was probably eighty-five pounds.
0: That's a good sized boy. Eighty-five
1: I've, pounds and muscle.
0: Yeah, I've got a couple Chessies in training right now, and you know they're just different than a lab. They've got a lot of great qualities, um, but there's certain things about them that. I almost feel like every day I go out and train, it could be a different dog. And some do- days they show up and they're like the best one out of the truck, and the other days are would rather sniff the bush and give me the middle finger.
1: Well, let's put it this way. I love that dog. He was he was a machine, man. He was impressive. He was my buddy. He slept in my bed. He went everywhere everywhere with me, and he's the only Chesapeake I've ever had, and I won't have another one. <laughs> I hear you.
0: Um, now, actually, I forget his name. Is it the young guy who works for you or worked for you? He had a chassis, right? Yep. Yeah, Josh had a chassis, yep. right?
1: Yep, he nice. still got him. Good for Proudy. him.
0: Proudy. Yeah, I met him at the Master Nationals in 2016, maybe? Yeah. Uh, good, yep. good deal. Um, so after Slack, then did you go straight to labs, and is that Sadie?
1: Uh no then I had uh May um was my next dog and uh I'm trying to think uh it was pretty sady so gotcha. she filled in the gap in between I probably got her in like man I don't know 2000 something So or, you were probably right around 2000 yeah
0: yeah. When you guys were running the guiding service, what types of dogs were you running for that?
1: Uh, Pretty much all labs. Yeah. So, let's think here. May was around for some of that, and then Sadie was around for... I mean, she was a puppy Um, in 2008, so yeah. she kind of... Yeah, I, let me think. What happened to May... Uh, she was still around, but you know, she, she was getting old and, and certainly was not an everyday, you know, guiding is way different than for, for a dog. It's way, way different than even if you're an avid duck hunter and you're going with your buddies and you're, you know, it's you and two or three of your friends and that's way different deal than, than being a, a guide dog. You know what I mean? Mainly because you're on every single shots. day? Every single day, lots of guns, um, especially on the snow goose side of things, man. I mean, it was, you know, when she was a puppy, 2008, we had a, for 2000, 2008, 2009, I mean, those were good snow goose years, and, you know, geez, I, I had no idea how many snow geese she picked up, but lots and lots and lots and lots. Yeah, I bet it wears a lot. Lots of gunshots.
0: It's like a professional athlete; yeah. like they only have certain, you know, they can't. I guess like a Brett Favre, he's worn down and achy and arthritic, and you know they only have yeah. when they're hunting that hard and for that long, there takes a toll on their body.
1: Yeah.
0: Is there speaking of that from a veterinarian standpoint? Is there anything you do for your hunting dogs, joint wise or? Um, is there anything you do to aid them?
1: No, I mean try to keep them skinny. Yeah. You know, um, that's about it. Uh, as far I don't really buy into uh, prophylactic glucosamines or any of that stuff. You know, certainly if you if your dog has issues, those definitely have their place. Um, but I, I don't. If your dog's normal. Um, I don't really feel like they need anything other than if they're expending a ton of calories obviously you've gotta you gotta make up for that or if they're not doing much in the summertime, then you gotta cut back right yeah,
0: for sure, do you add anything to their foods during that high caloric you know work rate?
1: Oh yeah, man, I mean biscuits, eggs, bacon, <laughs> cheeseburgers uh egg rolls. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, when they're burning a lot of calories, um, yeah, we, I mean, I'll give them whatever, yeah. I mean, I'd be feeding them more dog food, food, but it doesn't scare me to throw them a a biscuit or anything when we're hunting hard.
0: For sure. Do you feed, all right, this is a good question, do you feed your dog before you hunt it in the morning?
1: I I give her a little, yes. I give her about mm, a third- third ration something like that
0: me too main I, reason
1: i've always kind of done that because uh back in the day my Chessey slack if i didn't feed him before we went uh dove hunting and, and even teal he he would eat the first one in the morning if i didn't feed him <laughs> that
0: just sounds like eat a <laughs>
1: yeah he would be coming back and you'd see him coming back and he's kind of chomping and you know you'd see the dove then you'd see like wing
0: and a tail then you just see a tail
1: and then it'd be gone uh damn chessies yeah and even may may ate a few doves too
0: i've had i used to live in south carolina training and almost everybody's dog on their first dove hunt ate a dove or two and i got one buddy rodney who runs a taxidermy shop his dog ate every dove and was crapping out feathers for like a week
1: Yeah, that'd be kind of rough on you. But uh, Sadie's never done any of that. But the other two, especially Slack, yeah, he he would eat a dove. And, you know, you were talking about Chessie's being kind of weird earlier. Uh, I'll just tell you some of the things that he did, and I I kind of see it, uh, you know, through the years with other Chessies. You know, they're really hard on the go, and they're really slow on the come. Yep. uh, When they're coming back, you know. And then, uh, you know, he... I I I tried to force-fetch him. Well, you can imagine how that went, okay? Like, yep. uh, that was a total disaster. He, it, for about two months, if you said fetch, he would turn around and go. There He wasn't going to fetch anything. He was going to go the opposite direction. But uh, but he'd come back, and, you know, I hunted out of layout boats all the time back then, and he'd get right to where you couldn't quite reach the duck, and if it was a cripple, blah, he'd spit it out so he could go chase it again.
0: That's hilarious. I won't rag on Chessie's too hard, because I'm sure someone listening is going to write in and be like, my Chessie's the best, but for sure, yeah. that's hard going out, and then slow coming back. It's almost as if they're thinking in their brain, like, dude, I worked to go and get it. I'm going to hold on to it as long as possible.
1: Yeah, that dog wouldn't. He would have broke through you know, stainless steel and brick walls um, to go get them, but then Man, it, heaven forbid there was a blade of grass in his way on the way back. It was like, well, I, I, I got to go around this blade of grass, and I got to pee on every possible vertical structure, you know. And he was, he was definitely a meat dog. I mean, you know, his training was a la Iris. So that was, you know, that. That we've got to we've got to make sure that we remember that when I tell any stories that don't paint him in a positive light because he was really a great dog. Yeah, for sure.
0: They, and again, I mean, every dog's different, and you enjoy and remember the good times, and even those funny quirks are are just good memories.
1: Yeah, and he he was not he wasn't a fight. I mean, he wasn't a big fighter or anything like that, but he was pretty protective. You stuck your finger in. uh, in his crate you might not be coming back with it you know that's awesome
0: um did you do research before you bought him or did you just find a chassis and went and got him
1: well i mean remember back then there was no internet there was no nothing so did i do research well sure i mean i i forget exactly how i came across it but it was through a fairly Reliable source that I uh, uh, can awesome. Um, it wasn't like today's world where you've got you know a wealth of information that you can read your fingertips. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure. Now uh, we'll we'll get off of I guess that topic. Um, out of all the dogs you've hunted with, maybe that you've owned or or other people that have hunted with you, is there a memorable retrieve? or a story that a dog just overcame something and you just, it's ingrained in your brain that you'll never forget that moment?
1: Yeah, so, you know, Sadie, she's had a lot of a lot of really memorable retrieves, and, and uh, one in particular, I remember she was young. She was like a year and a half old, and we were in Snow Goose Field. I had a group of clients out there, and we'd ripped into one group, maybe, I don't know, five or six, um And so she cleaned them up there, and uh, we're sitting there, and she's in her dog barn. Maybe five minutes goes by, and all of a sudden she just tears off running. And we're like, what in the world? And, I mean, she ran like 300 yards as hard as she could. And I'm like, I have no idea, guys. I'm sorry. I have no clue what she's doing. And uh, she runs out there and grabs the snow goose and prances her butt right back to right back to her dog mine and you know we had no idea that goose was there she obviously had marked it right must have been a sailor or something and uh but yeah it was uh it was it was pretty funny you know i was blowing my whistle and going what in the heck is going on and here she comes back with the snow goose you know and so sometimes they know best that we had it happen again this year we we're hunting on the rivers super cold and uh We'd shot a duck and, and not made a perfect shot, and it ended up getting kind of on the other side of the sandbar underneath this ice shelf. And so we walked over to where it had gone, and so, you know, we're like, all right, Sadie, here, you know, look here, and, and all of a sudden she tears off like she did that time, you know, and runs like 150 yards down the sandbar and jumps into the water, and sure enough, here comes this doggone greenhead out from underneath this ice shelf way down there. I, I guess she must have seen him or whatever she so, tell guys all the time, you know, they'll be like, hey, that duck went in over here. You need to stop her. You need to send her left. Or you need to do whatever. I'm like, hey, man, there isn't any point in me redirecting her because uh, that duck is, is toast. It just doesn't know it yet. And I'm certainly not going to help her find a duck that's a cripple over there um, because I know where it hits the bank. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah, let her do the work. That's what she's there for.
1: Yeah, some, I think some people try to over overhandle their dogs a little bit, you
0: know. Yeah, I think there's a fine line, like, as a trainer and a, a hunter, you know, if you overhandle your dog, you're going to take that confidence away from them to to be independent and use their nose and what God gave them and what you've built into them during training, and, and they'll either look to you for too much help or or just not do it at all. So I think there's that fine line of – just natural instinct and experience that teaches them, you know, use your nose. Right, right. So that's pretty sound advice. Um, Ira, what, for a a first-time dog going out, their first hunting season, and you've had a bunch of dogs now in, in your waterfowl career, what would you advise people to do and maybe not do with their dog during the first hunting season?
1: well i mean you know most of us don't get to hunt every day of hunting season and so those precious few days that we get to go of course we want to pull the trigger and and you know that's the reason we go that's a huge part of it but i think when you have a a young pup that's just getting started you know training's awesome training's a great way obviously to get them prepared and give them the foundation they need to be a good gun dog but yeah, I think it's important for guys with young dogs to, if you see something starting that's a little problem, don't let your dog break. Don't let your dog start a bad habit of whining. Don't let your dog pick up those little habits, especially in the beginning, because it's going to happen over time. Um, but, man, it, it's, I, I feel like it's part of our job to help them learn the basics, give them some direction, Sit out a couple volleys, have your finger on the button if you know something's coming, and help your dog by being prepared yourself.
0: I literally couldn't agree more. And that's one of the hardest things as a trainer is giving a dog back that's been with me for four months, and they spent money and see the dog go from zero to 100, and they automatically assume that the first hunt the dog is going to be perfect. And really the first hunt to five hunts is holding the dog to a standard, helping them through it, helping them realize that this is the real – they got called up to the major leagues and, and the game is the same but more intense. And, you know, I think if people can put their gun down for a, a hunt or two or three hunts and let their buddy shoot, that would be the
1: best. Yeah, or even a volley. Like if you notice that the dog's wanting to cheat or whatever the case may be, then sit a volley out and have your finger on the button. You know, when when I was guiding every day, it was real easy to do that. And uh, you know, it, it's a temptation to just hope that your dog's 100% ready to go and isn't gonna mess up. It, you know, it's just not realistic.
0: Right. Yeah. No. I think uh, having a dog be successful is the key to training. I mean, they can screw up, but if you use it as a teaching tool. Um, and help them be successful, they'll they'll be a better dog over time. And, and like you mentioned, don't let a bad habit start because it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Um, Kevin had a question about, as a vet, what do you look for in the field to make sure your dog is safe
1: and remains healthy through the season? Well, I mean, I may be a little remiss in saying this, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, I try I try not to put them in, in dangerous situations. And so, like, in our particular environment and locale, probably the biggest risky hunts that we run into, when it's super cold and we're running the river, I mean, there's some big ice shelves where your dog gets sucked through a hole and never come up, um, things like that. So, you know, if we're hunting and we're out there, I, I try not to shoot at anything unless I feel like there's a very good chance that i'm going to kill it dead right there no cripples and have a safe retrieve for my dog or else i'm not going to pull the trigger um so that's one big thing i think you know think about something before you pull the trigger and put your dog into a situation whether you send it or maybe it just breaks you know and then if the dog breaks and you've put the dog in a bad situation by pulling the trigger when you shouldn't have um man, that's just not, I mean, that's how, that's how they're going to die. Um, another thing is just imperative, man, and everybody including myself can do a better dog chance of this is if you think there's any chance that your dog might break in a, in a type of situation where your dog could get shot. So particularly in a, a pit blind setting and tie it up. I mean, you know, it's so traumatic. Uh, I've seen it happen through the years several times and, uh, you know it's terrible for the person it happens to and the person that owns the dog and just you know don't don't put people in that situation and i and everybody else could do a better job in ensuring that you know and yeah um as, as far as medically goes you know i i think a lot of it is just luck of the draw how your dog's built that kind of stuff so like Feed. Some dogs have terrible seed and their eyes problems. Some dogs have terrible feet and they have all kind of foot issues. Um, but you know things like cruciates and and all that stuff. I mean those things you're not gonna prevent. They're either gonna happen or they're not. Right. Um, so you know I think I think uh, the biggest thing is have reasonable expectations for your dog. Don't put them in a bad situation. And try to be fair to him, you know i mean i've seen it over and over again where guys get frustrated and they take their frustrations out on their dog and it, it's just not it's not cool man it's not fair to the dog and it just makes you look like well you're not having fun and it, it makes you look like a real jerk which you're probably being yeah that's a sound advice my friend
0: um uh... Off of that subject, what do you got planned for upcoming duck season? You got a big trip coming up, right?
1: Yeah, Thursday. I'm going to New Zealand with uh, my older son, so that'd be cool. Legit. What are That's you? Definitely a lot of travel for sure. How many hours? Well, it's, I think it's 15 hours from Houston to Auckland, and then you take another flight that I think is a couple hours to Wellington, and then we get on a train, and I think that's another couple hours, and then, then we get in a truck, and I, I don't know how far it is from there. And you're duck hunting, correct? Well, we're gonna we're gonna stag hunt for a couple days, and we're in duck hunt the rest of the time. Yeah. Good. Yeah.
0: What an experience. How old is your son?
1: Uh,
0: 14 what an experience he'll have that's awesome yeah man
1: i mean it'll be an experience i mean we're just so fortunate to be able to do something like that yeah
0: is this going to be self-guided or did you have to hire a a local guide to take you on these
1: yeah no this would be a guided deal i mean i i don't even know i know nothing about new zealand right definitely i'm gonna be a guided trip for sure
0: what kind of duck species are down there? Anything that, it's got to be different than what we have here in North America, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of mallards and a lot of honkers, but uh, the big things that they have that are, that are different than us is uh, they've got a Paradise Shell Drake um, that's really unique looking and pretty. You guys may have seen them before. The female's got like a white head and kind of a rust-colored body in a real uh, green uh, wing, you know, speculum there. And then um, <clears throat> they've also got a uh, a unique shoveler. I believe it's an Australian shoveler, if I'm right. Um then I know they have a black swan as well. Cool. Good for
0: you. Any trips here in North America that you're taking?
1: Uh, for sure. I'm going to go to Saskatchewan in, uh, in the fall um and then we'll see from there uh you know i mean in the fall if you, you do the math on the days that that we're gone hunting you know in missouri and it's quite a few and then i always go somewhere in january with uh with cory and um so yeah usually we go either to arkansas or tennessee or hunt down in the boot heel in missouri uh, or we've gone to kansas so i'm not sure exactly where we'll go this year but uh fortunately i have a lot of really good friends around and man it's just great you know i'm not worried about going and killing a few more ducks as much as i am just you know getting around having a good time showing him some different country and a different culture and we always have a good time whether we shoot a lot of ducks or not
0: good for you all right last few questions um, if you could only kill one duck for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: One duck. Well, I mean, I hate to be a cliche, but I mean it has to be a mallard because they're just so call responsive, right? I mean, you know, I, I love shooting teal, and and I am an equal opportunist. I'll shoot anything. <laughs> man, I'll shoot a shoveler and a heartbeat. I'll shoot six of them, and and not not have one ounce of guilt or remorse, but you that's know, awesome. that's shooting, which I love, but duck hunting is you know, playing the game, so it has to be a mallard. All
0: right. And if you could have one bucket list uh breed of duck hunting dog, is there what would you have?
1: Well, again, man, I hate to be cliche, but a lab is hard to beat. I mean, a black lab in particular, in my opinion. I had that darn yellow because uh, my boys wanted that puppy, and I was like, whatever, and she didn't work out. Um, They take good photographs, but I personally like a black lab, and uh, like I said before, I loved my Chessie. He was a cool dog, Um, but I won't be getting another one, not a knock against him, just you know, he was cool, and, and I got lucky, and I see a lot of Chessies in the office, and I'm not going to take a risk on every every dog's gamble, obviously. That yellow didn't work out, but, uh, yeah, uh, it'll be a black lab.
0: From here on out, I hear you. All right, Ira, uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. How can people follow you on social media and your future hunts and all the good things you got going on? How can they follow you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of social media. Um, I'm like a a dinosaur when it comes to social media. I'm an old guy, but, uh, Instagram's pretty cool. It's easy to use. I, i post some goofy stories on there with sometimes the cat neuter, Sometimes it's, you know, taking a dog's eyeball out. Sometimes a lot of times killing stuff, but, uh, so, Instagram's easy. I think I'm just uh, Ira Momarsh is my handle or whatever you call it. And, um, and then on, on the Facebook side of things, um, I have two accounts, which is kind of confusing. I have a fan page deal that I used to not use at all. I, got, I had 5,000 people and I, whatever, I just quit using it for years. But recently, all my Instagram stuff is kind of shared there. So, if you're a Facebook person, you want to see what I'm doing. Find me on the fan side. Um, on the personal side, I've got an account there, too, and that's where I can kind of see what people are doing, right? I can see what you guys are doing. Sure. Um, but I don't put most of my stuff's being pushed to the other page.
0: Very good. So we'll link that up so people can follow you. And we are going to do a little contest or, or giveaway, really, and it's going to be uh, um, something from Momarsh and something from Lone Duck. And it's gonna be cool and and we'll get that out to people. But how to enter will be you subscribe to the podcast. Kevin said you've gotta do five stars, which so that means you if you don't like it, you gotta give five stars anyways. And then you gotta follow Ira and myself at Lone Duck on Instagram. And we will track that and we will pick a winner in our future podcasts and announce it on here. So ira man i can't thank you enough for your time your stories it's a pleasure to keep getting to know you i hope we can hunt together in the near future um you're a a gentleman you're a great role model for our industry and uh keep it up man thank you so much
1: well thanks for having me That, that was uh that was hopefully helpful for all of us and certainly fun and um Yeah, man, golly, if I could just get reviews like that at at my house, even like, you know, (laughs) a tenth of that, I I would just be so elated.
0: Yeah, you got to just tell your kids you have no choice but to give us five stars.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
0: (laughs) All right, man. Hey, thank you so much for your time. You stay well, and we'll talk with you soon. All right, thanks, Bob. Thanks, Kevin. Take it easy, Ira. Hey, Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters is a community that we built to help you and your dog on your journey to next duck season. There's videos that don't hit YouTube. There's happy hours where we drink a couple beers and I answer your questions every other week. And by the way, if you join between now and September 1st, you're entered to win a hunt with me and Kevin and other Patreon members. So jump in. Let's go join the community. We appreciate it. And we'll see you there.